So, uh, April 2nd, 2023 for the tape, we're going to start Astor Lesson number 12. It's a, kind of the, uh, a two-part, and we're going to look at today verses 19 through 32 of Esther chapter 9. So I'm going to go ahead and read that starting at verse uh, 19. So Esther chapter 9, verse 19. And we're going to pick up the story in the middle or towards the end of, of the Jews feasting because of the gladness that they have because of the fact that they were able to protect themselves from Haman and for this decree that Haman had sent out. Chapter 9 and verse 19 says, Therefore the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the fourteenth day of the month Adar, a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and of sending portions one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things and he sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly, as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun and as Mordecai had written unto them because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them and had cast purr that is, the lot consumed them and to destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Wherefore, they called these days Purim after the name of Pur. Therefore, for all the words of this letter and of that which they had seen concerning this matter and which had come Unto them. The Jews ordained and took upon them and took upon their seed and upon all such as was joined themselves unto them, so as it should not fail that they should keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointing, appointed time every year, and that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. Then Esther the queen, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew, wrote with all authority to confirm this second letter of Purim. And he sent the letters unto all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Hasarias with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim and their times appointed according as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoined them and as they had decreed for themselves and for their seed the matters of the fastings and their cry. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was written... In the book. So we are almost done with the book of Esther. And so as we look at this today, I really just have two points on the, on the lesson today. And the first one is 
Purim is celebrated. So your first blank, the word celebrated there goes in. So Purim is established, part two is kind of the title of the lesson. But first of all, it was celebrated before it was even, it even became, uh, official. So again, Purim is defined as the feast of lots. So your second blank is lots. L-O-T-S. Because Haman cast lots to decide what? Remember when he was casting lots back at the beginning of the book? What did he cast lots for? Why was he casting lots? He was trying to pick a day that he was going to have the Jews all executed. And so that's the, when he, and so he made his decision how he was going to decide what day this was going to be on by casting lots or what we would say throwing the dice. And I, I can't say for sure it was throwing dice or throwing bones or, or it was some kind, some kind of a game that you did something and by chance you got your answer. Okay. Like, would it be the same thing when they threw lots to find out who was going to take Judas Iscariot's place? Is it the same kind of lots? Uh, yes. It is. That's kind of a loaded question, but the short answer is yes. That's one of the ways. There's two. There's two reasons that people cast lots. One of them was for gambling, but the other one was for to getting God's word on on a subject. So one of the, the examples would be in Acts chapter two, twenty four through twenty six, when they did cast lot to find out who would be the next, the twelfth. Apostle. That's one of the places. You see it also back in Jonah, chapter 1, 5 through 15. You see it back in 1 Samuel 14, 38 through 40. And in those places, people would cast a lot with the specific purpose to ask God something. And since they didn't have the Holy Spirit revealing things to them, they would cast a lot or, or maybe a dice or some kind of thing. And their, the whole intent of that was to get an answer from God. Now, I don't know what reason Haman did this. I don't know if he was a gambler, but I know for sure he didn't worship God. Now, it could be he threw the dice down or picked straws or whatever they did to his God, small g, to get an answer from him. I don't know. The Bible's not very specific with that. But here's what I do know. Whatever they did to cast the lot, God was behind the scenes and he chose it. Okay? It wasn't some chance that the day and the time all came down. God chose it. And so even though we don't see the name God in the book of Esther... God is still behind the scenes and he gave them the time, okay? So the word lot there is basically casting a lot out to it. And it is a, uh, Purim is a Persian word because again, they are in Persia at this time. And so uh, it's defined as the Feast of Lots. Number uh, Letter B, it says, Purim is celebrated first by the Jews in the villages. The people didn't wait. I mean, after the, that day that they were supposed to be executed and they were able to defend themselves, the following day, the Jews in the kingdom decided they're going to have a feast and a good day and, and they're going to celebrate. And you think about this, wow. I mean, they went from almost total 
destruction to life here. And so they are, I mean, they are beside themselves, okay? But it was celebrated first by the Jews. It, It was no official thing. It's just like, hey, this is a good thing that happened. We're going to celebrate, okay? And see, it was a day of gladness. It was a day of feasting, and it was a good day. I mean, they are excited. And it was also a day to send gifts. Kind of reminds us of Christmas or a birthday. You're celebrating something. You send gifts, okay? And so, uh, it was celebrated, and then it's more, it was more of a, a Cinderella story. It's, it's a story, now, we all know the story of Cinderella, right? And, but it's, it's a story like from rags to riches. And you've heard people say, well, this guy, uh, this guy, I've even heard it in sports and all kinds of things. This guy was a nobody and now he's come up the ranks. I mean, this is the true Cinderella story, you know? And I used to think, okay, that is a Christian's life. We were lost and we're saved. We, we have a Cinderella type story, but you know what? Ours is better than Cinderella. Because Cinderella wasn't in the story. She just had a mean old stepmother, right? That made her do all the work around the house. She, it, it wasn't involving her death or anything. Ours is a lot like the Jews, really. A lot like Purim. They, it was total death and they were saved from that. That's our story. We were, we were born in sin. We have a sinful nature. We were going to die. The wages of sin is death. And we, we're going to die. And yet God stepped in with His Son, with the sacrifice of His Son, and made it possible for us to go from total annihilation to, to death from hell to eternal life and, and a life in heaven with God. So, I mean, we have... We, we, think about that. We have a better story than Cinderella. In fact, these Jews... And this story had that same one that we do because they went from death, from certain death, to certain life. And so amazing that is. So number two, the second point, and I'm going to get through this because I want to go through our second chart here. Is Is there another blank? Oh, I'm sorry. I just flat went over that. So it was a day to celebrate as God had delivered them from annihilation and it made it possible to freely worship and serve Him. Thank you for telling me that. Freely worship. So not only because Mordecai was number two in the land, not only did they get saved from death to life, they are given a position, they were given the ability in the kingdom to get, to worship freely. Their God. And the fact that Mordecai was number two just helped that along. So, you know, they could have been back under a, a king that said, no, you can't worship your God, you know, you can't do... But no, they were. And, and this going through all this made it possible for them to still have a relationship with God, which nothing can stop that, but to freely go out and, and do it openly. Okay? So, number two, Purim is established. So, your established is in your next blank. It's, it becomes official. Okay, and so it was established by Mordecai, for he sent out a letter to establish it. B says, and this second letter was to establish Purim as a holy day. That's what it says in your on your uh, handout there. This is where we get the word holiday. 
So, holy day is a contraction of holy and day. And it's, it's, I want to say, I don't like the word evolved, but it's changed, it's morphed into, uh, what we call holiday. So when we, here in America, we say we have a holiday, originally those roots were a holy day. It was set apart. It was a day set apart for God. And now it's like, nobody sets apart anything for God. Uh, uh, you know, I remember when you couldn't buy certain things on Sunday because, you know, and I, I get the just of that, um, because Sunday should really be set apart for God. Now, how far do you go with that? You could go to extremes, you know, You're like, well, like the Jews did. Well, on the Sabbath, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do any work. And of course, you know, they got mad at Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath. Well, you, you can't heal a man on, that's work. And I'm like, so they took it way out of whack. It's like, well, wait a minute. Then you can't, you can't cook on Sunday. You can't, you, it's the just behind it. Do you set Sunday apart separate from the rest of the week to worship God even more than you do on a normal weekly basis. And it should be that way. We should be worshiping the Lord not only every day, but specifically on the first day of the week. That was the pattern we see here. And so uh, uh, it's just interesting. We get our in the holiday. Nobody knows where it came from. It's kind of like Memorial Day and, and Veterans Day. Memorial Day, everybody goes to the lake. Well, we know we go. That was not set up. So we could go to the lake. And, and holidays are set up, well, it, now it's not anything to do with God, it's family. Well, do you spend time with, well that's a good thing, but that's not what the original intent was. Okay. And so we're getting ready to come up to Easter here in a minute. Of course, even Easter is a, is a pagan deal. What do we really celebrate? The resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. That's what we're, that's why we'll hear people talk about, you know, happy resurrection day. Now, yeah, and when you stop and think about all that, now, do we got to, do we want to go to extremes and say, no, we're not doing any of that? We, we fit in with the culture, but we need to realize what the importance is behind the scenes. So, um, number C, or number C, letter C, the letter was sent, who is the letter sent to? The Jews only. Now, why? Because it's a Jewish holiday. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of like, what's the 5th of May? Is it the 5th of May? May, a, 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 a Spanish holiday? It's a Mexican. Not, not Spanish, but Mexican. Okay. So Cinco de Mayo, is that what it's called? And, and then you hear, you see all these Americans, they want to celebrate. Why? So they can run down to the beer joint and drink. That's the only reason they're celebrating it. They don't care about anything else. It's just a day to drink. And a lot of times people have the other holidays the same way. Hey, come over and we're going to, you know, get out the booze and do all that. Oh well, I'm not trying to talk against it, but I'm like, that's eh, not what it's for. D says pyramids to be celebrated on the 14th and 15th day of the last month of the year. Now, you guys were not here last week. We talked about this. So, uh, the day that uh, the Jews were supposed to be annihilated was on the 13th day of the last month. That's when the first decree that, that Haman sent out. 
says you can attack the Jewish people on the 13th day of Adar, which is the last month of the Jewish calendar, and you can take their stuff after you kill them. Really nice deal. Well, when it came to fighting them, and we saw last week when we were studying, that that happened on the 13th day of the month, but yet these guys in the city of Susa, where they were at, they decided to be a little sneaky and also do it on the 14th day of the month. So they picked two days. And yet both times, and it's funny because we also saw last week that Esther got word of it and asked the king, hey, can you extend this one more day? Even though it wasn't, it was in the law, they only got one. In the city of Susa, there was like, there was 500, was there 500? I'd have to go back and look. There was 500 men killed on the following day. So that's why the people in that town, which was the capital, took an extra day. They took two days of protecting themselves, the Jews did. And then they celebrated on the 15th. So that's why there's two days here. There's the 14th because that's when the people outside the empire in the unwalled cities, they celebrated. But in the capital city, they took an extra day. So... So there's two days that they celebrate. Some of them was in the city, in the country area. Some were in the city area. If that makes sense. But anyway, even today, Purim is celebrated on those two days. Okay. So Purim was to be observed by every family, every generation, and every province, and in every city, perpetually, continually. Okay. And so. Not only that, we saw at the end here that it was it was basically decreed by Mordecai, but Esther also was involved in that decree that went out. So she's involved in that also under uh, uh, F there. Purim was confirmed by Esther. And G, it says, the establishment of the Feast of Purim was written in a book. Which book do you think we're talking about? Let's, let's go look at the end of 9. It says, And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. The book. Okay. So, uh, number one, there's actually two books that it was confirmed in. First, it was written in the book of Chronicles in, of the kings of Media and Persia. And you go, okay, Bob, how do you know that? Well, I'm jumping ahead here a little bit. You're already in uh, uh, chapter 9 at the end. Go down to chapter 10. And uh, let's look at verse... Let's just read 1 and 2. And the king... Chapter 10. And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea and all the acts of his power and of his might and the declaration of his greatness of Mordecai whereunto the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia. So apparently there is a, a record written of Purim and probably everything that took place in Esther in the chronicles of the king. Remember, the king couldn't sleep one night, so they brought him the records. And he started going through them earlier in the book of Esther because he couldn't sleep, and he, so he brought those books up. So they must have kept pretty good records. So... Uh, the Feast of Purim is written in a book. It's written in the Chronicles of the Kings of Media and Persia, but it's also, second, it was written in the book of Esther and included in God's book. So God's, God's is the word that goes in your next blank. 
And so you're like, okay, so why did God include the book of Esther in his Bible? Well, it's to teach us, right? Uh, I know there's a man come, what's the next book after Esther? I know, we gotta go back through it. Job. Job. Okay. Job is the next book. Now remember, Job gets tested by, who's he get tested by? Trick question, but it's by Satan and God. He, he goes through all these, these, these things that happen to him. And yet, does he ever come up with a realization of why he went through those? Does he ever get an answer from God? of why he went through his trials and tribulations. Think about it. Does he? Because he wants to know. I'll I'll give you the, the answer. No. Job never realizes why God allowed him to go through these things. But yet, in, in the book of Job, let's turn over to chapter 19. So after, in the middle of this, of, of Job, and I'm trying to make a point here, so just hang with me for a minute. Job chapter 19, and I'm going to start off in verse 23. Job 19.23 says, and this is Job talking, he goes, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So it kind of gives us uh, Job's faith right there. But he, he knows that he's going to stand before God at the end of, of time and God's going to bring him back up again. But he writes this in his, in his despair and he goes, Oh, that my, that my life was written in a book. And guess what it is. Now, he never knew why he went through the trials, but I know why he went through the trials to be an example for us. And it was written in a book so that we can read it and we can learn from it. And yet, that's what Esther's story is the same way. God has preserved those things down through history to give them to us to help us understand who He is, to help us understand what He's going, what He's done and what He's going to do. The same thing with the feast. The feast tell a story. It, it's kind of like when God created us and man went AWOL and, and sinned and went against God and everything got turned into chaos. God now is like, okay, I have a plan to redeem mankind to me, back to me. And everything I do is going to point to what my plan is. And so from everything, I mean, it's almost like he has neon signs pointing everything. He has a book. He has got it written in the book. He has who he is just in nature. He has the stories in the Bible. Everything is pointing. God is trying to get everybody to realize that, that we're lost and, and apart from him and he sent his son to save us, to pay for our sins so that we can have that relationship restored. There are signs all over the place. You know, it's it's like this story, and I can't remember the whole jest. I get in trouble when I start remembering jokes and trying to retell stories. But it's about like the man that 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 went through a flood, and he's sitting on top of the of his house waiting for help, and he keeps praying to, for God 
to send help. And then you see a boat come by and you see an airplane come by and he keeps saying, no, that's, I'm waiting for God to do something for me. And it's like three things come by and it's finally the guy perishes and he dies and he finally meets the Lord and he goes, why in the world didn't you help me? He goes, well, I sent a boat. I sent a helicopter. I sent something else and you wouldn't take it. That's kind of like mankind. It's like God does all these things in our life to give us opportunities to accept Him as Lord and Savior. And the thing is, a lot of times, you know, some people do wake up and see it. But a lot of times people just can't grasp it. They're just, I guess they like darkness more than light or they just can't seem to, to understand what's going, what's real and what's not real. So, Job is one of these guys, but everything that's, that went through Job's life, God wrote it down for us to learn. It's kind of like uh, Romans 15.4. For whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So it's to give us hope, to give us strength, to give us everything we need. So it was written in a book. We have the book of Esther in our Bible. God preserved it. It's there. And so, uh, yeah, it's written and put in a book. We all have no excuse. When we get to heaven, God's going to go, I've given you everything you needed, including a book that tells you all things. So, so uh, Purim becomes one of the feasts, the Jewish feasts. So if you have your hand out, let me go through that real quick. And I probably won't do this justice today, but let me just kind of briefly go through it. So there are seven feasts in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus that God told the Jewish people to observe. And each one of these have meanings to them. Okay? So, um, hopefully yours has a front and back. Is that true? Okay, so they're both on there. I think Purim is on the back. So, uh, there's two that was added to this, Hanukkah and Purim. But let me just go through these a little bit real quick. So, the first one is Passover. Of course, we're going through the book of Exodus with Brian. And, uh, so we're, we, they've went through the, the original Passovers when, you know, the, the, uh, the, they put the blood on the side post of the doors of the, of the Jewish people in Egypt or whoever did it and put the blood on their posts and then the, the death angel would pass over them. Well, that is a picture. It commemorates God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, but it goes more than that. It pictures Christ's sacrifice on the cross. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, specifically is death. So the theme of the Passover is, is deliverance by redemption. It's celebrated on the month of Nisan, which is the first month in the Jewish calendar. And we see it, the reference in Exodus and Leviticus. And it's to commemorate God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And we know that. But it, for us, it goes on and farther, it pictures what Christ did for us. On the cross, God passed over our sins because He was, our sins were laid on Christ. So that's the first feast. And so the second feast is unleavened bread, which is the, the next day, if I, I get it right here. It's in the same month. Um, the unleavened bread commemorates God's deliverance of Israel again out of Egypt. And it includes a day of first fruits for the barley harvest. For seven days, unleavened bread was eaten. So we, that's kind of the same thing we saw right after the, uh, uh, the Passover takes place. Immediately the next day, it goes into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
and that runs for seven days. And it's a, it's a, the theme of that is deliverance by sanctification. And what it pictures is Christ's sinlessness. Christ has no sin, and yet they were to take the, the leaven out of the bread, which is a picture of sin also. And so, again, these Jewish feasts, not only do they mean things to the Jewish people, they also picture, again, prophetically what Christ is going to do, and, and he pictures these sacrifices, these feasts. So, again, spring, both of these are spring feasts, and then you have the Feast of First Fruits. And the first fruits, again, is in around that same time period, and it basically focuses on the picture of here that we see is Christ's resurrection. So are we seeing a picture, even when we add up the feast, we see pictures. Okay? So it pictures Christ's resurrection. So even every time I, we've been preaching in a book, or I've been preaching through a book, the theme of it is we keep talking about is the second coming because the theme of the Bible is the second coming. There's not a book in the Bible that you can go through that you're not going to see that theme in. And so I keep thinking, well, let's do, let's do, uh, we did Esther about a year ago. Then we, what did we just go through before this one? The book, I mean, Ruth. We just now went through Esther. I'm sorry. And what other, we just went through another Old Testament book. No matter what book we're going to go through, it's going to picture the second coming. The prophet who had a poor for a wife. Hosea? Yeah. Yeah. I'm even, I forget things myself. I told Carrie the other day, I said, probably won't be long, I won't even know my name. But, uh, <laughs> I'm somewhat serious. Go into a room, I'm like, I don't know what I came in here for. I need to start writing more lists down. My wife says I have more lists written all over the place. I make a list for everything. But, it may be that bad, but I have to put, okay, get up, eat breakfast. I haven't got that bad yet, but maybe I will. I don't know. So pray for me. But uh, everything but is a picture. At least if you make lists, she knows to help you complete the list. Complete the list. Okay. If she know, yeah, it's like we have so many lists laying around. Which one's current? Which one's not? Okay. And so uh, these, these first three uh, feasts go together. They're at the same time period. And so they picture Christ's sacrifice, His sinlessness, and His resurrection. And then we get up to the Feast of Pentecost. Now, the Feast of Pentecost, uh, I'm going to basically say for, uh, is, I don't want to say this incorrectly, but I mean, it did commemorate the giving of the law of Mount Sinai, but it has so many Gentile applications to the Feast of Pentecost, okay? And for us, the the Feast of Pentecost is important because Christ sent His Holy Spirit into the church on the day of Pentecost. So on the day of Pentecost, the church was empowered. It basically represents or pictures the age of grace the body of Christ. So, uh, the picture of Christ in the Pentecost is us. It's the body of Christ. And it is uh, seven weeks after the Passover. Now, how many days is seven weeks? Seven times... 49, but this one takes place actually on the 50th. 
Pentecost means 50. So here's what's interesting. It really is celebrated on the first day of the week, not on the Sabbath. Yeah. Interesting how God just fits all this together. And so if this is picturing the body of Christ prophetically, 50 days would be the day after the Sabbath, would be the day of new beginning, which would be the Sunday that we celebrate. So again, fits right in with the church. And so uh, that's I found that was interesting. So this is more a early summer feast. So it's 50 days after these other three. Okay. Now there is a time gap between this one and the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets and the other, let's see, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Booze, three, those three holy days or feast are in the fall. Okay. And so, um, the Feast of Trumpets. Now, now there is there is some talk about, and it probably depends on which pastor here you talk about. When is the rapture going to take place? Is it going to take place in the uh, what time of the year? And a lot of them will tell you the fall. But there is another inkling that it could be in the spring or or summer. But if you really focus on what Pentecost represents and how the Gentiles and the church fit into Pentecost, um, I'm leaning that direction. I'm leaning to the point that the rapture will probably be in the spring or in the late spring around the day of Pentecost, if not Pentecost itself. Okay, but I think, why bother when God says, when Jesus Christ says, I don't even know. That's true. I'm, I'm just throwing that. I mean, I don't. I know, I know, yeah, I, I'm not setting a date. I'm just telling you what time of year. Humans are curious about yes. things. So we try to figure things out, and we try to set things according to our. Okay. All right. So let's see. Let's turn back to Revel uh, to uh, Leviticus 23. This is Exodus. Let me get there. Leviticus 23. And let's go down to verse 23. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. So my point here, he's getting ready to talk about the next feast or the feast of trumpets here. And specifically, he says, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the children of Israel, saying. So it's got a Jewish focus on this one. I'm not saying Pentecost didn't, but Pentecost also has a lot of Gentile uh application to it. But in the Feast of Trumpets, we're all back to Israel. Okay? And so this takes place in the fall, September to October. This is the seventh month. 
of their calendar, and it is the blowing of the trumpets to signal the beginning of a new civil year, and it's back to the Jews. Now, the Feast of Trumpets is also going to picture the tribulation period because in this feast, we're going to see some raptures take place. In fact, we're going to see two raptures during the Feast of Trumpets. And I'll give you a a reference to that if you want them. The first one are the first five virgins we're going to see in Revelation 14.16. The second one is is for the last five virgins. We'll see that in Revelation... What did I tell you the first... First one was Revelation fourteen sixteen, right? And the last one is in Revelation sixteen fifteen, and you also will see it in Luke twelve thirty six. So we see that there are two tribulation raptures that are for God's people to bring certain tribulation saints out, like we are raptured out. But the church is already gone at this time. So, I mean, this is getting pretty deep stuff here. Uh, so the Feast of Trumpets in the fall, when it starts talking about showing signs of, of a trump going out and a regathering of God's people in the fall, is a picture of him regathering his saints out in the tribulation. Now again, that's pretty deep things. So, then the next day is a day of atonement. Uh, and basically, this pictures Christ's second coming. We can see this in Acts chapter 3, uh, 19 through 21. And then the seventh feast is the Feast of Booths. It's a time of rejoicing. It's going to picture the millennium. So even in each one of these has certain meanings that have prophetical meanings. But then we have two more two more holy days thrown in: the dedication of festival of lights, which is called Hanukkah, and yet Hanukkah is not recorded in our Bible. Nothing about it's recorded, but yet Jesus still celebrated it. In John 10.22, it's called the Feast of Dedication. And that's what you hear on the news and everything about the Jews celebrating Hanukkah. Right. It's, it's, the, it's one of their big festivals. And honestly, it's one of their least festivals. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, we think Hanukkah is big. It's big. It's re- The only thing that's really pushed it to the prominence in our time frame is because it's so close to Christmas. And it's pushed it to be a bigger holiday. But in biblical times, this was, you know, at the bottom of the list. And then you have Purim. Now, Purim is in the Bible. It's in the story of Esther. And uh, it is written in God's book. And it is in the 12th month. And, and that's around our February, March time period. And they did celebrate Purim just a few weeks ago around the world. Uh, it was the one that was established by Mordecai. It commemorates the deliverance of the Jewish people in the days of Esther. So that both of the last two feasts, the, the Feast of uh, Lights, which is Hanukkah, and the Feast of Purim, are a picture of both tribulation and second coming. 
and probably even some millennium in there because uh, uh, now also um, there's a five month period between uh, uh, Purim and uh, the Feast of Booths or that Feast of Tabernacles. So again, you got you got a five month period in here. So Purim just throws another kink in the works. Now it is it's a time when the Jews were delivered from being annihilated, and it takes place in the spring summer, right before Pentecost. So. I don't know exactly when the rapture is going to take place. All I know is I'm going to hear a trumpet and I'm going to be out of here. Uh, But everything that I keep seeing time and time again is the fact that the the Feast of uh, Pentecost has to deal more with the Gentiles than any other. And when people look at the Feast of Tabernacles and those fall feasts, Again, the 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 uh, importance of them are back on the Jews again. So to say, well, that's when the rapture is going to happen. Now, when's the second coming going to happen? I'm thinking it's back on the Jewish side, so probably back in the fall feast would make sense. I'm throwing some conjecture out there, so I'm not giving you any point. But I am saying I see the church more and more in tune and involved in the Feast of Pentecost than anything else. And so that's why I keep leaning that direction. So, uh, and maybe you guys can go home and figure that out and come back and tell me. But maybe you can give me a date. You give me a date though, I'm gonna run. <laughs> okay. But I, I know, I know when the Feast of, I used to always think the Feast of Trumpets is, boy, but it, but it is talking about a rapture, but there are two raptures in the, in, in the book of Revelation in the tribulation time period that would fit right back in with the Feast of Trumpets. And they are for who? The Jews. Not us. So. If you got any questions, you can come and ask me. I'm, I'm sure I've probably stirred all kinds of things up. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll be out of here. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for everything in your word points to Jesus Christ. It points to the fact that he came. It points to the fact that he died on the cross for our sins. It, it points to the fact that he's coming back and it, and it points to uh, his kingdom being established and a millennium being set up. And Lord, I, I just thank you for that. I thank you that you've put it in all your every book in your Bible because it's important because that's, that's it. That is the main goal. You, is your son and his kingdom. So Lord, I, I, I help us to see those pictures. Help us to see how they relate to us, how they relate to Jewish people, how they relate to uh, people all down through history. But yet, because of that, because of what we see, we know our time is short and Christ is coming back quickly. So Lord, we know you're doing that. So just help us to live the way you want us to live and redeem the time. So we just pray for a good day today. Uh, and a good week, and we thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks.